You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. We've we've turned this podcast up to 11. We're on episode 11. That's ah. a, a Spinal Tap, not a fan? I have not seen it. Oh my gosh. I know all the references. I've seen the scenes, okay. gifts, etc., etc., but I've never seen the full movie. As a as someone who owned the Meteora full booklet that included the um like making of DVD. Mhm. Spinal Tap is like kind of they they stick it to the the like music um documentary folks and I thoroughly enjoy it i'm not as huge a fan as my brother is but i'd still anyway turning it to 11 that's yeah, the whole joke uh, i'll be sure to uh be sure to check it out <laughs> although i will i will say on that note um lincoln park's reanimation album was one of the biggest letdowns in my life Are in terms of albums me? because i just wanted another album i didn't want remixes and i hadn't read about it so i had no idea what was oh. going on i was like oh my gosh i'm like in high school and really into lincoln park right now yeah i gotta go get their new album i go and i pick it up and i'm like what is this? But you understood that. You Did you see the cover? The hybrid theory. It's yeah. basically like hybrid theory, but, you know, in a different yeah, style. Yeah, no, I get it. Okay. I get it. All I just right. did the time. I was my. I was too naive to know anything about it beforehand. Disappointed. I yes. Guess. All right. All right. And, and the Meteora was... Oh, what, yeah. That was huge. The meteoric rise of, of back. Back yeah. to uh, top of mind for Tim. All right. Well... <laughs> now that we've covered that... <laughs> Our, our music interests uh, here. Uh, our music interests in high school, yeah. That's right. Uh, so before we get into it, <laughs> before we get into the, the actual beer-related content, let's get something to drink. Uh, today we're cracking open Cespi. I'm going to say Cespi. It sounds like a baseball player, but it, it's it's actually a pills from Topa Topa Brewing in... Uh, I got this from Ventura, California. So for Mother's Day, I, I took my mom to um, a place called Lure in uh, ventura it's kind of like a, a fish and seafood and uh, oysters lobster that kind of stuff they sell a bunch of seafood it's over there on the california coast and uh we were just kind of walking around downtown and we stopped off at topa topa mm-hmm. and it's a, a pretty small tasting room they've been around for two and a half years now I think. Got a, I think they have a tap room also in Santa Barbara. Yep, they opened that up um, probably, I say, within the last year. Hmm. Um, but they, they're one of the newer ones. They they were kind of early in on the um, the brewery boom in Ventura County. Yes. Um, Surf and Anacap had been there for a while. They were kind of the veterans. And then I believe Topa Topa may have been the next one, maybe Poseidon. There's there's like Poseidon. There's, there's Topa Topa. There now. Yeah. There's a Ventura craft craft brewery yes. um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's casa agria which is nearby in oxnard yeah it's it's blown up in that whole area um, institutions there as well um, wow. they're doing great things that's over in camarillo so same area well, this is i kinda, went to, yeah this is sort of your home I, turf right? i went to school and spent three years in ventura um, and my wife is from there so we spend a lot of time up there so i'm i'm well versed in it although all these breweries um they popped up after i left so i i haven't um experienced all of them but I, I have had a few things from Topa Topa. I have friends that are still up there that speak highly of the brewery. Um, I've only had a couple of things. Um, uh, it looks like the Sespe Creek is actually up in Ventura County. So I would venture to guess that that's uh, kind what of the it's San- named after. Yeah, Santa Clara River, um, that whole area. I mean, 
sort of ravaged by fires too recently. Oh yes, um, and all those all those folks kind of dealing with that recently. Um, so let's let's actually get into this. Let me open it up. It's in a, it's in a crowler. A little more difficult for you to pop it, it open. It is much. It's a huge can, basically, big thirty-two ounce can. It's a good sound, though. It's a good sound. Uh, classically, the before I had seen crowlers in all sorts of tap rooms, um, I saw the thirty-two ounce cans by Mission Brewing from mm. San Diego. They uh, put their uh, both their double IPA and their pale ale into uh 32 ounce cans and would distribute them out to to different places and they were huge i mean it, it looks like man i there's no way i would ever buy this and I, then and then you my life is filled with crowlers now i'm uh, i'm full of simpsons references okay. and i know that you wouldn't get them and that's a problem it just reminds me of when the simpsons go to australia and homer goes into the bar and looks for the big beer and the guy puts a giant, basically oil drum sized can of Fosters on the counter, and Homer's like, Homer's looking at it, kind of sad. And the bartender's like, "What's what? What's wrong?" He's like, "Well, it's big, I guess." That's that's what I picture with crawlers nowadays. Okay, all right, it's not. It is not like Seven um, Eleven Super Gulp big, but it's still pretty big. Oh yeah. All right. Um, so this uh, this Sespi Pils is a Pilsner, as you said. Um, it clocks in at six point five percent ABV with a thirty four IBU. Uh, so it should be pretty smooth. Um, it's described on Topa Topa's website as floral, crisp, and something you pointed out in your check in melon rind. I'm intrigued by that. So if you can imagine, uh, first take a sip. Let me know what you think, um, and then try to imagine if you would uh, a, a hot summer day. And on your on your plate, on your paper plate, is just a whole bunch of watermelon, let's say. And you've gone through like all the good sweet parts, all all the parts that are red. And you just it's too hot. You can't can't stave off that heat well enough. And you go deeper into the, Starting the melon the rind. White, yeah. And it's kind of bitter. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And kind of not astringent necessarily, but it's it's it is not tasty either. <laughs> it's not something you'd go back to, but um, I I get that though. I can I completely. You're right. That's a good descriptor. It's not, it's not a nose. It, like I don't get the smell of melon much. No, it smell it smells like you would like expect a from a pilsner, yeah. crisp and kind of a little little uh, fruity. And the flavor it starts off like starts off mildly sweet, like you would expect. Like there's a little bit of watermelon left on there. And that bitterness kicks in, but it totally, I get the melon completely in there. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I, I thought i thought it was pretty interesting, especially the descriptor of melon flavors and like bright crispiness of a, of a pills. And oh, we've, that, we've never had a Pilsner here on, on this not show yet. yet no. So oh, that that's a delicious. Good one to try. I love the design of the Crowlers too. Mm-hmm. Uh, logo's good. I mean, it, a lot of stuff about Topa Topa, their branding and their and branding is, is on point. Yeah. yeah. I love that stuff. Um, this is great. I can see this being really, really nice uh, when the heat kicks up, especially with Ventura County being very beach oriented. This is a good patio, like sitting out on the patio at the brewery in the sun beer for sure. Well, the, I think in that area too, there are a lot of those those kinds of places where you drive up and sit at a wooden park bench and go buy a bag of oysters and shuck them yourself. Oh, man. And hopefully you're, you can safely cut all those open and, and enjoy some, some nice raw oysters if you're into that. But, um, yeah, a lot of flavors of the ocean and, and smells and stuff. And this is, this kind of embodies that super well, I think. 
The other beer I tried while at Topa Topa was um, one of their single hop IPAs, kind of like akin to the um, the Society Brewing in San Diego, where they'll do multiple. I think they call them the Bachelor Series, where they do single hopped IPAs. Okay. Um, Topa Topa has been doing one of these single hop IPAs ever since that I I went there. I think a year ago. Um, they've been doing single hop IPAs. Uh, last I had was Sriracha Ace. This one was uh, Enigma that I tried yesterday, and that one was pretty good. Got a pint of that. The uh, the single hop beers are definitely very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to pick out and kind of, especially if you line a few up. I know a lot of places got into that whole single hop, single malt um, thing for a while. Uh, and being able to differentiate based off of the hop in an IPA is really interesting to see how different the different varieties make a beer. Yeah, I actually have a, I have a brewing kit at home right now for a Chinook IPA. Hmm. Um, so I'm interested to brew that. The only catch is I also picked up some extra hops to dry hop it that aren't Chinook. So I'm going to, I'm intrigued to see, I can't remember exactly what I got, but I looked up what might go with it. Can you do a variant where you've, you've got like one that is just straight off the recipe and then one that you either dry hop, you know, I could always beforehand get, or kind of after you could randle it or you could cask it or whatever with it. I mean, I could always pick up another kit and do two. True. <laughs> Not a big deal. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But it, um, it should be interesting. I'll be sure to cover how that goes on a future episode. Yeah. Yeah. Use love some to, of John's tips. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've never done homebrewing myself, if that <laughs> isn't blatantly obvious at this point of the podcast. Um, but it's something that I've always wanted to get into. And uh, hopefully with these with these homebrew tips of the week, uh, I can kind of get the ball rolling, if you would. Get the, get the boil rolling. There we go. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. I like mm-hmm. it. Have any of you had this beer from Topa Topa or anything else that they make? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. All right, let's get into the recent updates to the Untapped app. Uh, the latest update is Untapped 3.2.5. What are some of the new features that we've included in kind of tweaks and changes that we've made recently so this update includes um a few small tweaks that we thought would help improve some of the current process flows uh one of the things is that on your notification screen um when you go in there and then you hit venue you can see updates from verified venues that you um, have notifications turned on for um usually this will show you up to two or three of the recent changes to their menu Um, and when you tap through, you just go to their full menu and it'd be kind of hard to figure out what else was new. So now when you tap through to view all of the recently added beers, it will sort their menu by recently added, which will show you what they added recently. Uh, thus kind of fixing that issue of not of struggling to figure out what the latest things that were added were. Right. And this is on the, again, the far right hand tab called the inbox tab, uh, in the app. And you tap venues on that segmented controller there at the top. I, I, I all the kind of technical terms for all these, but it's it's that tab at the top that you'll want to tap that says venues. Um, you'll see one or two, like Tim said, uh, that is just to kind of give you a brief summary mm-hmm. of some of the changes that were made to the the menus of places that you're following. And if you aren't following any verified venues, find some nearby and be sure to follow them to get the latest updates to their menus. Yeah, and we're also taking recommendations for those too. So you'll see a banner at the top that says. You know, you don't see the place that you're looking for, tap here and you can suggest it to us. Either one that you want to be verified, the place that you go to that has been thinking about joining uh, Untap for Business, and uh, we'll be able to reach out to those folks on. Uh, one of the next things that we did was uh, some improvements to adding beers and um, venues to lists. Uh, before, you had multiple pop-ups and just a few different screens that kind of 
made the process seem a little cluttered. So we smoothed that out with um, less pop-up screens and trying to keep everything in one smooth flow. Again, this is on your profile. If you tap lists, you can add custom lists that either include venues or breweries or beers and kind of create your own uh, custom lists for anything that you'd like to do, either like travel lists. I have uh, a list, a public list that is just of the Tokyo breweries and venues that I went to during my trip. Um, so you can check that out at untapped.com slash user slash Kyle Roderick. Another addition in the 3.2.5 release uh, was uh, adding a map to the find beer screen. So now if you go to a beer and you hit find it, um, we don't just show you a list of where things are. We also give you a map so you have a nice little reference point of where you need to go. Um, and then one of the other updates that has been a little confusing, but we kind of made it an option for you, is absolute time in your activity feeds. So most social apps that you see out there will show you... Um, a relative time to when something was posted, basically like 12 seconds ago, five one, minutes, 12 hours, one day. Right. Um, and that's helpful at times because you can see how recently something was posted quickly, but sometimes you want a more exact date so you can, you know, especially with historic things so that you know when exactly that posting happened. So now in the settings, you can turn on what we call absolute time and you will get a full date and time readout. Um, basically example being like April 25th, 2018, 1 12 AM. Um, and you'll get a more precise and exact time as to when it was posted. When we were testing this, this was super helpful when I was in Japan and I've, I was a day ahead of you guys and the time at which people were checking in just seemed completely off to me. It wasn't the normal time that I'd be getting notifications and looking at the, uh, the activity feed. So being able to kind of do the conversion in my head, utilizing the, the absolute time, uh, was, was really beneficial being in another time zone couple other bug fixes and updates we did in here was um, we made a correction to some issues with comments that were very long. So when you tried to write a very long comment, the UI would get a little screwy. So we fixed that. Um, we also fixed some permission issues for cameras and some other accessibility issues with quick check-in. Be sure to update to the latest version of Untapped in your app store of choice, either the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store today. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off. Let's move on to our Style of the Week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here is Tim with more. This week, we are going to be taking a look at the Baltic Porter. Now, this one... Sounds like a dog breed. I'll be honest. <laughs> I could see that. It sounds like a dog breed. That uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something similar. <laughs> the, the Baltic Porter Hound. Yes, uh, there yeah. we go. Mm -hmm. The Baltic Porter has a history that's very akin to the India Pale Ale, which I believe we covered actually in our first episode. It started out in Britain as an imperial porter. Uh, the idea was that the British breweries were looking to expand their markets. And as with the India Pale Ale, they decided to throw it onto ships and send it overseas to other countries. Um, so basically, they exported their dark ales to northern ports by way of the Baltic Sea. This included the Baltic region of Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, as well as some Scandinavian countries, Finland and Western Russia. 
Now, as we learned with the India Pale Ale a while back, the export ales or these dark ales that they were sending out were made stronger and hopped than they normally would, um, which enabled them to endure the whole voyage. Right. So the idea is sort of like a preservative, basically. Exactly. They, they relied on that. And again, similar to the IPA, um, that was just a pale ale that they overhopped and over alcoholed and sent along to India, which thus the India pale ale was born. The extra alcohol and the extra strength and flavor was welcomed by these countries uh, that typically had harsh winters. So, you know, you want to warm up, what are you going to have? You're going to have that really strong alcohol stout or porter or something just to really get that alcohol warmness going through your body. Mm -hmm. Um, After a while, this style really caught on in this region and local brewers decided that they wanted to recreate the style using their own local ingredients and local brewing techniques and traditions. Um, As we've learned over the course of this segment, every country, every region, almost every city has their own special way of doing things, special traditions, special recipes, ingredients, all that stuff. Um, And as with that and in the Baltic Porter, each region gives the Porter its own sort of distinct stylistic interpretation. The interesting thing is, though, that the, the farther you got from England, the less the Baltic porters that were being brewed resembled the original Baltic porter that was being exported. Interesting. Okay. So it's, uh, as you got further away, different traditions and styles and ingredients started to work their way in, um, and thus less of the original was kind of kept. Uh, the higher alcohol content and sweet malty character of Baltic porters tends to have a lot in common with things like Russian imperial stouts. Again, it's mostly an interpretation of like an imperial porter. They tend to range in color from a mahogany red to kind of an inky dark color. So we're looking at something that's really thick and really embodies that dark beer um, status. Really, really kind of like thick malty character. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Any Anything to keep you warm. Yeah, yeah. Russian imperial stout the, sort of level of, of warmness. And yeah, that, that makes sense. That is it. Um, Baltic Porter brewers, they've borrowed technologies and styles from Germany, England, and Czech Republic, um, places that are all, you know, have well-established histories of brewing, and created their own category of strong beer, which is kind of where this Baltic Porter falls in. Um, some Baltic Porters are top-fermented and true to their roots, which is how they originally were brewed. And others, unlike the porters that were originally made in London, are bottom fermented, producing kind of a soft roundness in the beer, making it a little smoother. Uh, the Baltic porters tend to have a sweet, soothing maltiness, um, kind of like a German Bach. Mm-hmm. I was reading here on uh, one of these beer judging websites about, it's in their style guidelines, about it being sort of akin to the Schwartz beer okay. a bit. Yeah, I can. Uh, sort of, yeah, like German, German roots uh, in flavor. and Yep. It, it also has a, um, a rummy raisin kind of licorice thing similar to an old ale. Um, and then the, it also has hints of chocolate and coffee and at times kind of has a roasted background. So as you can see, it's really like a this hybridized mix of a bunch of things kind of all coming together into what is now the Baltic Porter. Um, the, the hops are noticeable in darker versions, but in say like a lighter Baltic Porter, they're going to be a little less noticeable. You're going to rely more on that boozy sweetness at that point. Hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pretty wide range too for, for the alcohol by volume. I've, I've had one that is, uh, upwards of 10%. The, if you can go by the Google results here, uh, ABV range from 6.5 to 9.5. So it's, it's a pretty wide range. It's going to impart a lot of different kinds of flavor, I think. 
Um, one of the best examples I think that I've had is the Bourbon Barrel Cobaltic Porter from Bonologic Brewing. I liked it a whole lot. Uh, Bonologic makes some really great dark beers. Yeah, so in the app, it's going to be under Porter-Baltic, and it helps me qualify for the heavyweight badge. Uh, it looks like I have had three. The most recent being Chili Water from Trinity Brewing in Colorado, which was an 8.5%. I also had three beans in 2013 from Six Point, which they've done a few different variations on, and that was classified as a Baltic Porter at 10%. That's interesting, but that was several years back. Yeah, the only other one that I've tried is uh, the Sam Adams Dark Depths, which actually comes in at 7.6 and 55 IBUs. It's a really interesting range. It is. It really, really is. And I, I think not having had that many of this particular style, I'm intrigued, especially since it has roots sort of in the over-hopped mm-hmm. and, and very hop-forward character with a lot of alcohol. Um, the, it's almost like a, a roasty triple IPA, which I'm, I am absolutely into. I love Cascadian dark ales and, um, black IPAs and that whole genre of, mm. you know, over hopped dark beers. Uh, this is, this is one that I need to have more of, yes. which we definitely <laughs> common theme here. I think once, once we get into, if we ever get into colder months here in California, we should try and dig into, uh, some of the darker beers. Yep. Yeah. Uh, um, I, an interesting thing to note is again, like almost every beer we've talked about, it the popularity did die out at one point um, during kind of the Soviet Union Iron Curtain times. Interesting. Um, and then in the 80s, once that all kind of came crashing down, uh, the style was picked up by craft brewers and popularized again. Yeah, I, I'm so glad we're not calling them Soviet Imperial Stouts anymore. It's, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad they're back to Russian Imperial Stouts. <laughs> uh... All right, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. There's a lot of a lot of beer news recently. Yeah, I pulled a few interesting things. Uh, this first article kind of ties into uh, our one of our subjects from last week, which was those uh, edible six pack holders and how they're trying to kind of help the environment. So this one comes from the Portland Tribune, and it is industry pioneers reusable beer bottles. So uh, this story I love, and I hope this catches on in a wider range of things, but uh, seven Oregon breweries have signed on to test out the Oregon Beverage Recycling Cooperative, which is the first in the nation. Um, it is going to be a statewide reusable beer bottle program. Now, it is a, it's a co-op that is industry-funded, um, and they basically realize that you don't need to fully recycle a bottle to use it again. You just need to clean it. You, you need to literally recycle the bottle you have into another beer bottle. Well, an interesting thing they point out is the, if you remember the, let's go back to when we learned about recycling in school. What, what's the recycling mantra? Can you recite that back to me? Just say no. N- wrong one. Oh, shoot. Um, <laughs> I can, I got, I got a plan in my head right now. Is it like a schoolhouse rock kind of thing? No, what is it? it's just, it's the mantra. You gotta, you gotta um, reduce, recycle, reuse. Re- reduce, reduce, reuse, recycle, or recycle, reduce, reuse, or close three. the loop. Okay. It was like I, three R's, Yes, right? exactly. So that's what it is. So they put a lot of emphasis in this on, you know, there's the recycle and the reduce, but they're really trying to focus on the reuse part of it. Understood. Because okay. when you when you recycle glass, lots of energy has to go into that. You have to melt it down. You have to blend it with new glass. You have to create new bottles. If you think about it, it's good to recycle. It's a pain in the glass, I think. It, it is. It's a huge pain in the glass. Good. Thank you. 
<laughs> need a button. Yeah. You need to press it every time That's Kyle it. makes Just a joke. Maybe a bell. A, a bell. bell yes, we we should do that. Okay, we'll get a bell. All right, <laughs> but instead of using you know, recycling is great. It helps save the environment, but you're still using energy, which still has to come from somewhere, which still creates some sort of carbon footprint. So this whole idea here is to try and bypass that and just reuse the bottles. They are actually creating new reusable bottles. Um, they're being made by a company called uh, Owens, Illinois Glass Plant, and it is near the Portland airport, so it is being made locally. Um, but these bottles, they're being they're being made heavier and more durable, um, and they're meant to be used forty to fifty times. So how I mean, how would this even work? Would someone pick it back up from your house, sort of like a milkman? Not from your house. There will be. Uh, from what I gather, there will be drop-off points and places to take your bottles. Um, hmm. And normally there are machines that are out there at like grocery stores and things like that. And where you, you put your recyclables in and it'll crush cans and crush bottles and sort everything out. So I believe there's going to be a pickup station for them that is going to be operated by this co-op. Hmm. Um, and the bottles are sorted and then they're run through a high efficiency washer that kind of cleans them out, sanitizes them, wipes them clean. And then they're just sent back to the brewery. It's like little growlers, basically. Yeah, to a degree. Okay. Yeah, twelve ounce growlers. And, and, that you I mean, can put in a four pack. If you remember back to um to uh, our tips from John Holzer last week on the homebrew segment, um, if you don't want to buy glass bottles, you can always just clean, sanitize, and reuse some of the bottles that you have now. Granted, the bottles that you're going to be reusing for homebrewing aren't as strong or durable as these new specifically reusable bottles, but you can. So why not take that same principle and just go back and recycle and clean out and actually reuse these bottles instead of why, why bother adding that whole process of breaking them down when yeah. you could just use the ones you've got? Well, I think also a part of the a part of drinking beer and stuff, too, is you pay for the in California, it's the CRV, right? You pay for getting the can and the bottle. Uh, but you never really cash in on that CRV. I know that I just put it in the recycling bin, take it down to the the apartment, you know, kind of communal recycling bin, and just put it in there. I don't get my five cents back. Mm. I don't get my 10 cents back. Yep. I remember back in the day growing up, loading up bags of glass and cans and taking them down to the local recycling center. And right. whatever cash we got for them, I was actually allowed to keep as a kid and I could use <laughs> to, you know, do whatever I wanted with. Yeah. Um, uh, although I think at the time glass didn't fetch nearly as much as aluminum, but hmm. anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm really, really happy to hear about all of the ways that the brewing industry is trying to kind of reduce their overall impact on the environment. Um, be it from, you know, uh, what was it growing or feeding fish with their leftovers to creating edible six pack rings. So we kill less fish and birds to, the whole idea of trying to reduce our carbon footprint and the energy that we use in order to have these reusable bottles. So can, I mean, can, can they be used sort of in perpetuity? Will they just exist forever? Are they going to outlive the cockroaches? How is this going to work? <laughs> well, it, it does say in the article that the bottles that are being manufactured right now for this program specifically um, are good for 40 to 50 uses. So once you... That's still quite a bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's years, years plus worth of drink the beer take it to the place, yes. have it cleaned out, have it refilled, and then buy you know, someone else's bottle down the line. Exactly. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the public handles it, because obviously it's going to rely on all those craft beer drinkers out there to return the bottles. And so they are um, specifically printing um, notices and things onto the bottles so that it reminds people to take them back, that they are reusable. So fingers crossed that people will actually follow through on this, because if yeah. this catches on... 
that could be huge, especially for the entire industry. And once you reach that, you know, 40 to 50 uses mark, then you just, you, then you actually go through the full recycling process. And if you think about it, like, sure, at that point, you're using the energy to melt them down, but how you, you've, you've, you've saved so much, you've already. reduced that by like 40 per, or 40 times already. Right. Right. Yeah. That, I think that's pretty cool. It's neat to see some well-known uh, Oregon-based, Portland-based breweries here signing up for this already. Uh, Bowie is one that is based out of Astoria, which I, I think I've given you a Bowie yes, beer I've before. Yes, I've had. And that's interesting because I've seen most of their stuff in cans. Yeah, yeah, which is cool too. So they, it seems like they're kind of changing their model a little bit to be able to be more sustainable and uh, and try and give this a little bit more of a boost. I think it's cool. All right, next up, we have Challenging the Hoppy Haze Craze. The, quote, clear IPA is officially here. This sounds like a April Fool's joke. I'm pretty sure this was actually on the April Fool's joke list. I remember this specifically. It was, and it was utilizing... It was the crist- wasn't it the Crystal IPA or something like that? I don't think it was an IPA. I think it was just like a, a Crystal Wisen or something. You know, uh, one yeah, of those some, kinds something of Something like that. Okay. Um, but they were they in the fake beer... That if, was entirely a that. joke. That now was. somebody's taking it a little further. Yeah, so this is from uh, BeerStreetJournal.com. It says, the haze craze has taken over the brewing industry, and I think we can attest to that here. I'm well, I'm going to guess that a good portion of what's in the fridge here at work is some form of haze. New England or uh, yeast-driven is what Alvarado Street says. Um, hazy, juicy, you know, it's sort of like all... All of those uh, adjectives are really driving the craft beer industry and and boom of that particular style, the New England IPA. I mean, to the point where even the Brewers Association finally dedicated it as an official style. Yeah. So now Massachusetts-based Jack's Abbey cross paths with the Against the Grain Brewery from Kentucky. And the two of them started talking about hazy IPAs and joked about the complete opposite, which would just be a clear IPA, a, a... not not really like a West Coast, what you would expect from like a, I can see through this sort of amber, orange, uh, light yellow colored beverage, but quite literally a clear IPA. We're talking Crystal Pepsi here. Crystal Pepsi or almost like uh, if you've seen photos on a tapped, it is sort of like a really light lemonade or cider looking color. I, we, I think when we were talking about this before, um, it, it looks a lot like the hop water that we have here. Right. Yeah. yeah kind of. It's got. Like a, it's clear. It's got a slight tinge. Slight tinge. Yeah. But you could still. It, it looks like like tingy Sprite or Crystal Pepsi. Right. So against the grain, teamed up with Springdale Beer, uh, the experimental wing of Jack's Abbey, to create the antithesis of the hazy IPA trend. An IPA that pours nearly as clear as water. They say no murky glasses of beer that resemble orange juice found here, but you still get that sort of hazy, juicy flavor out of it, somehow. This sounds so intriguing. Like, I need I, I need this. It's canned. I think we're going to have to, we're going to have to look around for this. Or if anybody out there listening has access, um, we're more than willing to compensate. Yeah. <laughs> to we get, have plenty to trade. Yeah, we we'll get our hands on trade. it for sure. Uh, how the brewing teams did this, though, is a secret. It would it would be interesting to know because I feel like how do you strip how do you strip the the colors naturally there? How do you even get around that? Yeah, I don't I, I don't know how this would work. I don't know enough also about the different types of yeast driven hazy IPAs, juicy IPAs that are out there to know 
how this could even be possible. But for them to be guarding the secret and saying, like, we're not even going to say how this was done. We're not doing a TED talk on how this was made. Um, we're just going to keep it a secret, can it, distribute it, and have people's minds be blown. Plus, it's just, it's a big, it's a big middle finger to the hazy trend a in a bit. fun way, like yeah. in a good way, not, yeah. not in a we hate it way, but just in like a, this is getting ridiculous. Well, they said on Untapped on the, uh, the beer descriptions, they say it's a little tongue in cheek, right? Mm-hmm. Of we made this beer specifically to be the antithesis of the hazy IPA, which is great. I think it's, you know what? It's fun to see folks having fun with trends and with uh, styles that are super popular and things that people like and just trying to buck that a little bit and have it be something that is completely different. But it's just not going to look good on my Instagram. It might. It might look a little... I don't know. Yeah. How are you you're going to get whatever's, whatever's behind it <laughs> leaking through? It's not going to be my milky, orangey... It won't look like no. paint. No, I know. I know. Not not photogenic. But, uh, we'll uh, see. We'll see. Uh, get, Good story, it, if, though. If anybody out there listening does have access to this, please feel free to let us know. Uh, it's, you can email or you can... Um, us up on social um we are at untapped on twitter facebook and instagram but let us know we would love to uh, get our hands on this or if you've tried this i'd, or, l- I'd love to hear yeah. sort of like a personal account of how what this tastes like maybe a blind tasting like something to tr- try to legitimize this as a, a potential sort of antithesis to that whole haze craze yeah. if you would the next article up here we have from smithsonianmag.com. This is Australian brewers are making beer from yeast found on a shipwreck. Now, again, we, we've talked in the past about people getting yeast from interesting places. <laughs> uh, like we, Beards. Uh, moon rocks. Moon, yeah. Or, no, no, no moon oh, rocks. Yeah, <laughs> I messed that up last time, too. <laughs> Sent into space. Excuse that's me. Right, that's I right. keep messing that up because it, the, it just it's such a cool box and it looks like a moon. And you think, I think, like, all oh, they're gathered. Uh, you know, from space. Yeah. Okay, from space. Yeah, Let's yeah, just go yeah. with that. Beards. Right. Yes, I remember that mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. Anywhere, really. It was the, the, the attempt to find interesting and... Uh, very bespoke work in here. Very kind of very special yeast strains that you can differentiate yourself is um, very big. Well, I think also uh, finding shipwrecks and then taking the booze that was on the shipwreck and then trying it is kind of like a, a tried and true uh, Titanic esque way to relive whatever was happening on that ship at that time and to say like, Oh, you know, the oldest, uh, discovered wine that was on a ship is 400 years old. And we tried it, whatever, whatever, <laughs> right? Anything to get not, you to click on the link, right? Yeah, this is not quite trying the oldest beer, but uh, something to do with that. So an Australian ship called the Sydney Cove set sail for Calcutta in 1796, but unfortunately it sank in the Bass Strait between Australia and Tasmania. Now with a lot of trade going on at the time, the ship was carrying tea, ceramics, rice, tobacco, and of course alcohol. In 1977, some amateur divers discovered the wreck of the Sydney Cove, and on it they found many items, but the interesting part was 37 glass bottles, 22 of which were still sealed. So not not floating, just probably still there kind of in, in a crate or yep. you know, so, somewhere protected from the elements. And all the fish, all those those booze-seeking fish. There, you know? there have been many stories over the years of people finding wine or brandy or interesting things on shipwrecks and pulling it up. Um, so it's not that's not necessarily out of the ordinary in terms of things that we've heard about. 
But the the part where it starts to get interesting is that um, in 1993, the Australian Wine Research Institute took samples uh, from the sealed bottles and determined that they were wine or beer. And they decided to try and culture the yeast that was found so that they could reproduce um, whatever the, the, beer was the in historic there, right? style of beer. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Recently, a brewery named James Squire's Malt Shovel Brewery uh, stepped up to try and use the yeast to create an ancient beer, but more for modern palates. Um, they had to try many recipes to get this yeast to work. Because obviously, all we know is here's this yeast that was cultured from these bottles. We don't know what that beer was, or they aren't like tasting it and trying to figure out exactly. They're they're not trying to replicate the, the beer, beer that flavor. was on the ship. Right. They were just trying to use the yeast to create something interesting. Right. So the yeast probably was cataloged somewhere. Either the uh, DNA sequence was cataloged in 1993. That was huge back then. Yeah. DNA was being sequenced for pretty much everything. Yeah. And it sounds like the strain was stored and kind of kept as a culture just right. for historical purposes. Right. Um, so they decided to take the yeast. They tried a few different recipes and styles and eventually they decided that the porter style was the best way to use the yeast. Um, and, Topical. Yep, exactly. And they use that to create what they called the Rec Preservation Ale. So the beer that they ended up coming out with, um, they say it had hints of black currant and spices. It was a little bit funky. It was dark, malty, spicy. That's how the article is describing it here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. It seems so interesting. Now, I'm, I'm trying not to make a pun, but was it oak aged? Was it like aged underwater on a ship like could could they do something a little extra with this beer and say like oh yeah it's the uh the wreck preservation ale yes we cultured the yeast from an actual wreck but we also aged it in bourbon barrels as under if using the ocean. yeast from the late 1700s wasn't enough <laughs> wasn't you got to cool take it enough. a step further right uh, you know i mean just a little extra right maybe uh, maybe <laughs> i don't know you want to go dig up a shipwreck the, and age your beer in it kind of an interesting, if you want to, just some interesting notes in terms of history here. Um, the brewery that is brewing this, this James Squire's Malt Shovel Brewery, they're the perfect brewery for reviving the style because they're actually named after Australia's first brewer. Shovel. John Shovel. <laughs> no? James Squire. Come on. <laughs> okay. Pay attention, right, Kyle. <laughs> James Squire's Malt Shovel, though, is a great name. Mm. <laughs> it's a good name for a brewery. Our last article today comes from Forbes.com, and it is the first Made in India IPA raises $50 million to export craft brew overseas. The article starts off with a quote from the founder of the Indian homegrown microbrew, Bira91, saying, you don't want to be seen with beers your dad's drinking. And I think that can hold true for most people in this current craft beer crowd. You don't want to walk around with you know what was around in our parents time which was mostly you want to be cool right yeah. you want to you want to be seen drinking new stuff or you know stuff that is from the the brand new place down the street or the hot new thing right exactly exactly you always want to try something interesting something local and with beer in india obviously or most uh, i'd say most countries outside of the u.s you have kind of these big macro companies that really hold down the majority of the market but it's more like a lack of choice uh, according to the article more like they've got mass market brewer kingfisher and that's sort of it yeah they, exactly the, you know king of the market if you would yes a craft beer lover himself Ankar Jain, um he recalls discovering flavorful beers when he spent time in new york near brooklyn brewery for nearly two decades 
And then after selling off his healthcare tech venture in the US, he moved back to New Delhi and started a distribution company where he was importing microbrews into India, basically trying to provide uh, the Indian market with this craft beer that he grew to love during his time in New York. Um, obviously, as Kyle mentioned, there was a big lack of uh, choice in the marketplace, which was dominated mostly by Kingfisher, which is the big major brewery in India. Um, and, and after a while, this self-proclaimed craft beer evangelist decided that he wanted to create his own beer. You can fast forward to three years after the inception of the brand, which is Beer in 91. Um, they've raised more than $100 million in capital to date. Um, and then in the face of, you know, millennials who want to identify with brands that kind of speak to their generation, um, Beer 91 kind of ticks all the boxes. Um, they're local, artisanal, gourmet, and exotic, but also bringing in kind of that flair of the culture that it is being brewed for. So for an example, they have a Belgian-style wheat beer that incorporates coriander, which is obviously a popular local spice, um, as well as orange peel from Latin America. Uh, he says the flavor profile kind of compares to Blue Moon and Hogarden, um, but obviously kind of throwing in that local flair is really appealing to the people of India. One specific beer in their portfolio that Jane is really excited for is the IPA, um, which was first brewed by the British for India, as we have well established. Um, but now they're bringing the style back. They're brewing an IPA made in India. Uh, for the first time, which is super exciting uh, for them to kind of reclaim that as instead of being this thing that was imported, now they're making their own. Um, the company has claimed that they've made $4.5 million in revenue for the last fiscal year, which is great. Um, I mean, it's a huge market. You can imagine um, with the shift in generations and the, you know, kind of out with the old and with the new movement of millennial generation, this should definitely catch on. The article does point out a lot about um, investments and you know where the money's coming from to run these companies and how interesting it is that uh, these VC firms are backing. You know, you, you think about VC capital and you think about a tech firm or some startup that's doing something with apps or technology or something like that. You don't yeah. really think too much about VCs investing into um, consumer goods right. as much. Right, exactly. Uh, tangible goods even. Like it's, it's, it's not... I mean, the world that we're in, it's all about, you know, you hit your series A for your application. Exactly. Or you got your venture-backed funding. For... Something with a low overhead, basically. Right, right, right. Um, it, and that's kind of, it is interesting to hear about the fact that, like, this brewery in India is raising funds from traditional VCs. But it does point out that it's not uncommon to see in the alcohol world. Um, Brewdog had received a 1.2 valuation um, after a transaction with a San Francisco-based um, VC firm. Um, Delaware's Dogfish Head also sold a stake to uh, an equity firm as well. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of these acquisitions happening and just investments um, from other companies such as like um, Lagunitas and Heineken, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see these VCs kind of backing other things. Uh, but I mean, it's also good because breweries eventually need money to continue to grow and expand. And well, I think it's cool to be able to go to like a, a website like crunchbase.com and see series A funding, series B, series C venture rounds for a brewery or for a place that you're thinking about uh, becoming a patron of and actually consuming their goods. Nice to kind of be able to do a little bit of history. Um, know about the brand, know about where their funding comes from. It's it's a it's a cool 
sort of new technology way of of thinking about a very traditional business and business model. As designers, I also like to think that their um, their branding and their artwork is pretty interesting too. I like their little like kind of punk monkey looking thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, kind of punk is a really good descriptor for this kind of. Or is that a crown? It's like a caricature. I can't tell of, if it's a uh, mohawk or a crown. <laughs> Could go either way. I'm gonna go hair. It looks like or hair. just just ruffled hair. Yeah, for there sure. You go. Yeah, their cans with just the giant um, giant mascot on it look really nice, and the bottles are clean and. I don't know. I, I hope this uh, hope this takes off and continues to spread, you know, the whole craft beer love around the world. All right, now it's time to answer some of your questions about Untapped. If you've got any questions for us, be sure to send them over using the hashtag AskUntapped. That's hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Kip on Twitter wrote to hashtag ask untapped about his love of being able to share photos to Instagram from inside untapped. So instead of necessarily being a question, we thought we'd highlight um, how you can do that on this episode because, you know, taking great beer photos and getting them out there and sharing them around is something most people like to do. So we thought we'd give you a little rundown on how you go through with that. So in a world of pics or it didn't happen, taking a photo of your beer has become very important. I know I love to do it. Um, I got a little too into it, creating a white background. Mm-hmm. You take some beautiful photos. Well, thank you. I'm, that's, always, that's, I'm always envious. <laughs> that's nice of you to say. I, I would say it's just your phone, but I know yeah. that it more goes into it than that. Uh, you get no. some good composition. The light in whatever part of your apartment that is is so good. There, Yeah, the light is pretty good. It's a, it's all about... Uh, the. For me, it is the beer you choose and the photo you take. And I mean... What better place to kind of highlight the photo itself than than Instagram, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a network built specifically for photos, and it's something that is just growing in popularity, obviously. And so you can check in and add a photo to your check-in on Untapped, which we definitely encourage you to do because you want to keep track of that. and Photogenic brew badge. Exactly. Level 100. Got to unlock that, uh, the photo badge. Um, but we did make it a little easier for you to go in between and get your photos from Untapped over to Instagram. After you check in um, with a photo, you can go to your individual check-in, either from the feed or from your profile. And then once you get there, if you hit the uh, more button in the top right, which will be those three dots, you'll get a pop-up menu that will ask you uh, what you want to do, if you want to edit your check-in or if you want to share it. Uh, You can go ahead and choose share, and then you'll get a list. If your check-in does not have a photo, you will not see Instagram, so make sure it's one with a photo, because what else are you going to share? So I guess that's kind of an obvious point there. But you'll go ahead and uh, hit share to Instagram. Uh, You'll get a a little confirmation pop-up that'll say that some information has been copied to your, uh, what we call a paste buffer, uh, for those of you who are less technical. It's just basically to your clipboard. When you copy and paste something, once you copy it, it goes into your paste buffer, and then you can paste it from there. Um, And because Instagram has such a locked down um, sharing uh, technology, basically you can only post from within Instagram, or there are some very specific apps out there that have given, been given permission to post. So we can't actually post to Instagram on your behalf. So it gets a little tricky here. We'll copy over some of the comment. Um, basically, we'll, we'll copy the comment that you've written, um, the beer and the brewery, as well as the rating that you gave it into text in your paste buffer. And then we'll pop up saying, um, you know, choose Instagram to go share it. And we'll slide you over from untapped to the Instagram app, which you should have installed on your phone. Um, and we'll preload the photo for you that you took. Um, and then you'll go through the process if you want to edit it some more. And once you get to the commentary, you can paste in your comment, which is what we had copied over, and then you can share it. 
it's pretty straightforward, even though, I mean, it's not as easy as a one tap share. Um, unfortunately with Instagram, you're limited a little bit there. Um, but it, it, it does go pretty quickly and it slides you over. And then once you're done sharing, you just hit back to the untapped app and you're good to go. And you can write a little bit more too, if you want to sort of add your hashtags, or if you want to get creative with the, uh, the comment there on Instagram, you can do that and then just hit paste and put all your untapped information into your Instagram comment. And don't forget to add the hashtag untapped so that we can see some of those photos. We like to sift through those here and there and, um, check out all those cool pictures you're sharing. All right, show notes are available at podcast.untap.com. And if you've got any questions for us or you've got feedback either about the podcast or about the app, we'll take it on at Untapped on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you don't mind taking a minute to rate our show on Apple Podcasts, that'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, Just head over there, give it a little rating, write a little review, let us know what you think. We're always checking the reviews and trying to incorporate your feedback and do our best to get this show to be what you want it to be. And tell your friends. Yes, please do. Share this. Share this on your Twitters and your Facebooks and... um, I really, I really appreciated the uh, messages I got this week. So thanks, thanks for sending that in to me. I, I, I thank, I thank you. I appreciate it. It's always cool. It's, it's really cool to hear what you all have to say about what we're doing because uh, uh, we're doing it for you. All right, until next week. Cheers. cheers.